You're listening to Africa Rights Talk, a Center for Human Rights podcast series hosted by Dominic Meisters. Welcome to the conversation. In today's episode, we're here with Mr. Barry Nibogora, who is the Law and Human Rights Program Manager for African Men for Sexual Health and Rights and has been a human rights lawyer for over 10 years. Um, He's also been working very heavily in terms of the African Commission. So, Mr. Nibogoro, if you could today, could you please expand on your experience with the Commission in terms of sexuality matters and just generally how you found that? Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to share the, you know, the experience of working on issues of gender, sexuality, non-discrimination and equality at the regional level, especially with the African Commission on Human and People's Rights. Um, when I started doing this work, it was back in 2013, um, a couple of colleagues had started to um, engage in a very aggressive way, not only the Commission, but also uh, the NGO Forum. Uh, the NGO Forum being this gathering of civil society organizations uh, ahead of the commission session to discuss human rights situation on the continent, discuss matters related to human rights uh, for three days, and prepare draft resolutions to be submitted for consideration by the commission session. The issues of sexuality and, and, and gender were, of course, not popular. And I think in 2012, in Yamusukro uh, session, a session that was uh, you know held in Yamusukro, uh, activists working on sexuality and gender decided to start holding what they call side events. Um, the issue of side events or organizing parallel meeting was not in the practice uh, at the African Commission. Neither at the was it at the NGO forum. The reason was because um, when the issue of sexual orientation, gender identity, or protection of uh, uh, LGBTI rights, or protection of human and people's rights for LGBTI people were raised within the conversation that, conversation that were happening in the NGO forum, there were a lot of reluctance, a lot of backlash. Uh, we are human rights defenders, but uh, we are not, uh, you know, uh, we are not without prejudice. Uh, so civil society actors and activists come also with their own background, their own bias. So a couple of them uh, were not comfortable to raise the issue of sexual orientation and gender identity uh, um, uh, within that forum. And uh, there were actually a number of statements that, um, you know, pronouncements that, you know, these issues that are being raised are not within the African human rights system, the African Commission mandate, and therefore should not be imposed as a, a topic for conversation to African NGOs, uh, the un-Africanness of issues of sexual orientation and gender identity was deeply entrenched in the interventions that happened. So activists say, okay, you know what, if, if that's the case, then it means that we, 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 we don't have a reason to be here if we, we are not human rights defenders, other human rights defenders, if our 
issues and concerns cannot be concerned, uh, cannot be uh, considered because of uh, how some organizations feel, then we don't see why we, we stay in the NGO forum. And the way the whole NGO forum was organized, you know, um, how uh, the um, steering committee of the NGO forum or the Center for, the, the, uh, for Human Rights Studies and Democracy, that is the custodian of the NGO forum, was organizing the proceedings within the NGO forum. It was more, you know, dominated by gongos, what we call gongos, like non-governmental organizations that are working for governments, you know, um, and, 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 and commissioners and state representatives. So people who will say things that you want to hear, who will not be critical, who will not raise uh, concerns, who will, not, who will always want to please the commission or please the state. Um, so it was an act of rebellion. Like, okay, let's have our separate meeting where we can truly talk about human rights, talk about concerns, and where interest group can have a, a thorough deliberation, a conversation, come up with a recommendation what can be, what should be done. So that's how um, uh, I came into, into play. Uh, I, I joined a movement that has already acquired some momentum. And then from then up to date, there have always been side event, parallel meeting, panel. It's no longer seen as something negative now. It's actually seen as, uh, as an opportunity to have a deeper conversation because the plenaries are fully packed so, and therefore you need some side meeting where people can go into the substance, the nitty gritty, the details of any matter being, be it around sexuality or any other human rights matters. One of the, uh, the success that I could consider uh, uh, on our side um, with that attitude or that practice of side event is that more organization now um, are using side event, are using our space because some of the strategies involved also to to be convener to civil society organization beyond sexuality issues. So we'll book rooms for three days and we make an offer, extend invitation. Whoever wants to have a deeper conversation, uh, you are uh, most welcome to send an email to this person and then it will be on the basis of first come, first serve. Um, so civil society organizations start to be like, you know, have some empathy with people working on soggy issues because they are providing them with a space not necessarily to talk about soggy issues but also to talk about any human rights any conversation around civil society space and so on and so forth so up to now we do it up to now we do it so whenever we go we book uh, um, a room for three days it's not only around soggy issues the public people will come and sign say i'm taking this lot and then the, the, uh, the room is also uh, available for them. It's also something that we did to address the double charging that business people or the hotel owners will be doing, like charge you for the whole day and charge five partners for the same day because you only need two hours. So better pay because the cost of two hours and the cost of one, a full day is the same. Mm. So. <laughs> practical. Yes, practical. So that's how it started within uh, the, the NGO 
or the civil society uh, uh, work. Um, back to the uh, to the to the commission itself, you know the way the conversation is structured. You have three days of uh, NGO deliberation, and then you have uh, almost two weeks of public session of the commission, and then one week of private session where they consider communications and other matters that uh, are, are, uh, are, are in what you, you could consider as executive sessions. So, like. so um, within the ordinary session itself, it wasn't easy because um, issues of sexuality, issues of uh, gender, issues of protection from violence, and uh, other uh, forms of violation based on sexual orientation and gender identity were raised as part of NGO statement. Um, there's a part where NGO, NHRI, state, uh, uh, AU organs make statement uh, around the situation of human rights in Africa. So NGO will be making their statement, especially NGO with observer status, and will be raising issues of concern. So issues around sexual orientation, gender identity, or sexuality were raised within the NGO statement. So you, uh, a number of organizations were raised, it, especially on the country that is being reviewed, because that's, that's, uh, that's an opportunity for holding the country accountable. That's an opportunity to have the, the delegation from that state to be in the room and hear the concerns that are being raised and respond to them and beyond before engaging with them during the interactive, uh, what they call interactive dialogue when they are presenting the stage report and having an interactive dialogue with uh, the commissioners. So they were raised and, and of course there will be a lot of resistance, uh, response, negative response, being shut down, say no, um, you are an agent of, you are a spy, you are being used by Western powers and all this stuff. Um, uh, our message was clear that um, uh, we are not going to raise issues from a country um, that is being reviewed if we are not from that country, as long as it's possible. So we support activists from that country, and those activists are going to be the one who will raise those issues from that country. It's not something that, you know, it's not a, a you know, a, a rhetoric. It's not, mm. it's not a talk show. It's like you have concerns, you have human rights violations, and you have the faces of people who are suffering from those human rights violations. Of course, in some countries, people will fear uh, reprisals and they will not uh, 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 show up. And, you know, you will have to write and then get some sort of guarantee for anonymity, confidentiality, because too much. That's the case for Ethiopia, for instance, who worked with an activist in Ethiopia around issues of sexual orientation, gender identity, two days before the person travels, say, ah, I don't think I will, if I travel, I may not be able to come back. Uh, I'm receiving signs that, you know, I'm being followed, mm -hmm. you know, people are talking about me, so let me just, give up. So we have to to submit that uh, uh, written submission without necessarily having a face, making a statement around it. Of course, those who are doing research across the continent, like the center or other organizations that are uh, um, of regional profile, will make statement on different countries 
and we include that as part of their statement. So it wasn't easy uh, within the uh, the commission because the commissioners were also reluctant and are still reluctant. Um, number of them, um, it's it has been really a journey. Um, even to get resolution two seventy five was a whole strategy that was deployed to to make sure that uh, uh, the the theme of the resolution is a theme that is more uniting than you know controversial or dividing. Um, to make sure that there is uh, evidence, evidence that is at hand, like uh, video, films, shadow reports, um, pictures were displayed at the commission uh, in preparation for the resolution. So like educating not only the public, but also the commissioners, we get them in your side meeting. Um, we've had... Um, uh, meetings around um, issues of protection of LGBTI rights within a particular country. Uh, we had them join inter intersex and trans uh, uh, awareness raising session. Uh, they will come, they will listen to presentation by expert community members. It also makes, it's kind of a work in progress to educate them, you know, and raise their awareness, allow them also to raise questions, to ask questions. Um, I, re I remember recently in 2017, uh, that was in session of November, uh, before, before a report get adopted by the commission, uh, a study report on uh, HIV law and human rights within the human rights system. A, a, a reluctant commissioner who has really been reluctant to engage um, on issues of sexual orientation and gender identity asked me the question of what is the difference between MSM and gay? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when somebody is asking you a question, it's also a sign that the person wants to know. Those are terminology that have become like a jargon that has been like uh, LGBT and MSM have been used for like six years at the commission. And that commissioner was there six years hearing the same terminology but never engaged with them. So I was quite shocked that she, all this time that she has been in, you know, forum where those, those terms are being used, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't say, what do you mean? And after all these years, the way we were like a very small group, engaging on like, what do we need to correct on the reports? Because as Amsha, we support the, the development and drafting of that report. That's when she asked me like, can you explain please to me what is the difference between a gay man and an MSM? And that's how you see that, you know, over the years, people uh, people uh, move from one p position to another. It's a like a journey. It's a, um, a learning curve, as they say. <laughs> um, so it hasn't been it hasn't been uh, easy. Uh, of course, uh, the issue of observer status of the coalition of African African lesbian was one of them that was dividing the commissioners. Um, uh, I can come back to that. Um, 
because in 2008, that's where the first application was submitted. This information is available in, uh, in public domain, so you can even read about it. But then 2010, after postponing two years, they denied. Um, they denied the observer status to coalition of African lesbians. In fact, the, the observer status of an organization is something quite easy, simple to get. Yeah. It's administrative requirements that you need to meet, and then there is a commissioner who will move that organization based on, um, you know, the country rapporteurship. So if the organization is coming from a country that is covered by that commissioner, so it's that commissioner who will move the application for observer status after being notified by the secretariat that the administrative requirements are met. So it's like an administrative requirement, yes, you can give to the commissioner who is in charge of that country. So the commissioner will present, we move the application for observer status, read the objective of organization, uh, read the, uh, the mandate, uh, and, and uh, read the letter that the, 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 the organization has you know, written to the commission to get observer status. And then they will ask whether there is a, an objection. Most of the time say, oh, no objection. Observer status, you know, granted. People clap. It's like really a less than five minute process. But that one, it took two years postponing, postponing. Um, so you can see that it was not uh, something uh, that uh, we've, I mean, that make people comfortable. It's a so sexuality issues within the African continent. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's you know. It's a matter that people want to force and keep within the private sphere. Um, so if raising in the public issues of sexuality or violations related to sexuality or claim protection uh, uh, against violence based on sexuality is not seen as a decent and polite attitude. You get what I mean? They say, how, how, who are you to come and talk about sex, sexuality here? Which is challenging, and if you transpose it to the women's rights mm -hmm. movement, because it's about controlling your body, it's about your autonomy, it's about making decisions over your own body. So if where the decisions are made... Um, you can't you can't say no or you can't you can't you know uh, use your prerogative to decide and you can't raise that deprivation of prerogative to decide in the public then there is a problem then there is a problem and that's the consideration within the african continent that um even women rights activists are seen as widows, you know, like as those who failed to build their family. You know what I mean? It's, it's like not, it's not something that makes people feel proud of. It's not a celebration of pride if somebody is claiming for women's rights. That's the unspoken <laughs> sentiment <laughs> or perception of our patriarchal, our uh, heteronormative society we live in. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> um, just to, from everything you've been saying to me, something that's coming out very strongly is 
you've had to take a very educative approach. And even with certain commissions, the terminology they never raised until maybe they were comfortable or they were more in a one-on-one dialogue. So is this what you're really finding you're having to do to get anywhere? Or is this just the general approach of the commissioners? Or are you finding some commissioners are championing it with you for the ones, because we all know there are certain who are very opposed. So how far do you take this educative role? So, so educa- I mean, the educative approach or educational approach mm-hmm. um, is one of the approaches that you use. So it's, a, and, 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 uh, and, and there is no one size fit all uh, uh, strategy that you can use. It's a multi-pronged approach. Some, some of the approaches, some of the things that we, be, we do will be in reaction. Mm-hmm. Some other things will be planned ahead of time, like I'm, ex- I'm doing this, expecting this result. And then you can see an opportunity, either you use it. Um, so it's a, for me, it's, it's a very strong aspect of any um, advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing people's positions and interests and acting on those interests and positions, linking those interests and positions with what needs to be done with regard to an issue we're working on is the way to go for a successful advocacy. So that's how I, how, how I see it. Um, if you like to talk about the Bible, I will need to equip myself with a, a sufficient knowledge around the Bible and tell you how, using the Bible, you should protect people from violence based on sexuality. Mm-hmm. As long as I haven't been able to sustain a conversation with you who, re- who really is excited about the Bible around the issues that I'm advocating on, I'm not sure I will be able to win your heart and your mind yeah. and get you to do the right thing. So for me, education or awareness raising, whether you call it sensitization, or it's, it's very powerful because I don't believe there are people who will always be stubborn. It's that we did not manage to find the right message for everyone, but there, will always be, there is a right message for everyone to do the right thing. So in the ch- our challenge is to find the right message for everyone to do the right thing. <laughs> well, you've clearly got some of the right messages across. Yeah. Um, so maybe just finally to kind of um, round it up, if you could. So you've explained very clearly how it's been quite a long engagement with the commission and a slow process. And have you found that there's been results and what are you hoping for example like you've mentioned cal's observer status was it took a very long time to even go through and then now it's been withdrawn so given that what has the commission actually been able to achieve in terms of sexual sexuality matters i mean not you don't need to go into everything just an overview and also with the cal situation how do you see things going forward so cult situation is, is, is one of the things that has really been polarizing the commission and um, it has created some sort of, you know, ghost sentiment. You know, when you feel like whatever is being raised, then you feel like this is LGBT. So yeah. the, the decision 1015 has nothing to, I mean, it has something to do with car, but it, it, it has far 
reaching consequences and 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 uh, and, and uh, you know damaging consequences than an observer status observer status aligning a criteria for observer status between African Commission and the AU is just one paragraph among eight paragraphs some of the, those other paragraphs go as far as criticizing the commission that it is acting as an appellate body uh, considering withdrawing the interpretative mandate of the commission, um, accusing the commission that is interfering with uh, uh, the judicial sovereignty of, of the country, and and you know trying to start a conversation how to discipline a code of conduct for the commissioners, uh, for people who are supposed to be technician experts and independent. You want to discipline people who are independent, so it's it's really some some worrying uh, uh, trend or tendency, uh, and for me they use they use the car issue as really as an excuse to clamp down and dismantle the African human rights system. And as long as people, or stakeholders, or civil society organization or other state haven't seen that, we will we will be in danger, and uh, we 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 may wake up without. Any commission anymore? <laughs> so, 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 uh, the car issue is, is has been lagging. You know, they have withdrawn now the car observer status um, as of uh, August. Um, in the just ended executive uh, uh, council session, they congratulated the commission. Uh, it's like, yeah, now you are doing the right thing. I mean, it's really going. You know. It's going, and one of also the conversation that is happening is like, how are we how, which is a tool that the, the policy organs are using, how they are going to harmonize advantage and benefits and emoluments of the commissioners with other organs, with the judges, you know. It's like, do this, and then I will give you this, um, and it seems to be working. So a couple of, a couple of, uh, successes that we've seen. I think um, since the passing of Resolution 275, so the, 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 the journey to Resolution 275 was in itself a long one, um, and I don't think it has ended because um, I'm not sure. I don't know the future of Resolution 275, but it's really a journey that has resulted from uh, engagement with the commission, one-on-one -on -one meeting, shadow reports, building a critical mass of uh, of activists and, and sustaining their presence at the commission, um, uh, having statement being included across civil society uh, statement, uh, mapping uh, the attitude of the commissioners with regard to a particular uh, topic, um, broadly sexuality, but what is the topic that could bring all of them together. That's why actually the Social 275 is around violence. Mm. It was a deliberate choice that we made because um, depending on the theme, then you get, um, you get the commissioners on board or not. So commissioners still believe in Resolution 275 because everybody condemned violence. Mm. Then we make statement, okay, I don't like these people. I don't like their way, their style of life. I don't like their um, exhibitionist ways of living. That's how they used to, 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 to qualify it. But I cannot tolerate violence. You 
this should not be the reason why you kill them, you attack them. Uh -uh. And as an African commission, we stand for that. So that's still, uh, that's still uh, again, uh, mm -hmm. something that we still hold on. And we are trying to push in that direction. So we're trying to do the traffic light about who is in support, who is in uh, 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 in, uh, uh, in opposition, who is undecided, how do you get those who are undecided be on the side of the right, you know, the right side of the history, and then you, you do the engagement. Okay. So that was part of the strategy. Um, so who knows Mute, who knows Pacific, who knows Lucy, who knows uh, Maya? What is her stand on this issue? And then you take the floor in a strategy conversation. You say, I think that person will vote for because I have had a conversation with her and this is her stand. Oh, that person, we don't know that person. Okay, so how do we get to know that person and also convince that person that this is a serious problem? The violations, violence, the attack, the reports that we are receiving are concerning and then she should do something uh, as a commissioner. So we do we engage the commissioners that we don't know their stand using two strategies. One, who is from the same country as that commissioner who can go and talk with the, the, the commissioner in the same language. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Or who knows the commissioner because they have been at the same school, like same college, or they worship the same God, mm. <laughs> worship at the same church, <laughs> right? And you know what the person likes. So that's what I told you earlier about yeah. identifying the interest and the position of the person and having uh, the right message that the person wants to hear and showing how that interest and position is in line with what you want the person to do, mm. which is like yeah. the change you want to see. So that's one thing. So resolution 275 still remain our, our biggest achievement. Um, there are a couple of uh, concluding observations that have included uh, issues of sexuality and protection from violence and human rights violation based on one's sexuality or gender, uh, be it after a review of a country, Nigeria being one, Namibia as well, um, Cameroon has been called for that multiple times, Malawi. So in those kind of concluding observations for us are like standard setting documents. These are advocacy tools that you can use. Um, you can take back home and say, this is uh, you know, the conclusion that was made by a body that you as an African country, you have uh, put in place to protect Africans, promote and protect the rights of Africans. And this is the recommendation that they are telling you that you need to implement between now and the next reporting period, which is like two, two years. So these are really, for us, these are very important documents, powerful tool. Of course, at country level, there is a disconnect. You know, sometimes they don't know. Even when you are working with, you know, journalists, you want these issues to be covered, you need to educate them. They don't see the connection between what is happening here and what happened in Banjul, in Addis, in Geneva which is still uh, a challenge. So general um, concluding observations, um, that's another area. There are a couple of other guidelines or soft law, uh, <coughs> including general comment number four, for instance, around torture, which has uh, a, a paragraph 50 around um, acknowledging that people suffer from violence and torture based on 
on, on their sexuality and their sexual orientation. And actually even they mentioned that LGBT people are targeted by acts of torture and cruel and inhuman uh, degrading treatment. They, I think general comments also around Article 14 of the Maputo Protocol when they acknowledge that, um, you know, one of the grounds of violence that women suffer is uh, is is also uh, their sexual orientation and gender and gender identity. Um, um, other other documents are really more soft as softer, um, like the recent study study report on uh, on on human rights law and HIV within the African human rights system. The couple of paragraphs. Uh, chapter on vulnerable groups mm. and what the country and the states are required to do to address the health needs of transgender people, immigrants, gay men, MSM. Um, and there is a whole, a whole glossary around what does the African Commission understand by gay men. <laughs> So they defined what gay is. Oh. <laughs> so it's, it's one of the arguments that I used to put forward is that, in fact, the commission has already recognized the right of LGBT people directly or indirectly. They have all this terminology in their own documents, and they tell the state, this is what you need to do in order to protect... Um, the, the, this particular group of people in, uh, from violence and from violations. So it's it's a struggle that continues, but you know it's a it's a is also an incremental way of winning. Like mm. um, you need to date someone before you get to marry the person, right? Very true. <laughs> um, perfect. No, thank you very much for sharing your experience and your insights into sexuality matters before the African Commission on Human and People's Rights. This has been Africa Rights Talk with me, Dominique Maestras, in conversation with Barry Nibogora. Join us in our other episodes as we continue to explore human rights issues.